Entry 1, July 28, 2015, 12.01.45. Let me start this out with, I don't know how it happened. I honestly don't know how any of this works. I just hope my story gets out there, and I hope that I can find a way out of here. Maybe I could even use help from the people who read this. Uh, I'll start from the beginning. I was laying down in my bed, watching my phone through a slightly cracked screen. I remember getting a funny feeling, like something wasn't quite right. I looked up from my screen, pausing the Jacksepticeye video I was watching, and looked around my room. There was something really weird, and I just couldn't figure it out. I, I didn't think about it too much, and I tore my eyes from my room back to my screen. I watched five or six episodes of a playthrough, each an hour or two long, and I was getting really tired. The first time I looked up at my room, I remember my alarm clock saying that it was about two o'clock. Uh, being summer break, I was just sitting in my room, bored. Well, I started to get ready for bed, and after plugging in my phone to charge, throwing it up onto my headrest with my alarm clock, I was surprised to see that it was still only about two o'clock. It was 2.45 to be exact. Thinking that it was weird, I went to go turn on my fan, until I realized that the fan was already on. I looked up at the stationary fins stuck in the metal cage of the tiny desktop fan and began to press the different mode buttons, one after another. After nothing happened, I got up to see if the thing was even plugged in, uh, but it was. My next thought was that the power had gone out, but I quickly dismissed that, as my alarm clock still blared its red LED lights, uh, displaying the time. Still, at 2.45, even though it had been at least five minutes since I realized something was wrong. That's when I finally realized that the light illuminating my room wasn't from a bulb or LED, but from my window. I looked outside, and to my confusion, the sun was at about its peak in the sky. Uh, despite feeling like it was at least eleven o'clock at night, the sun was so high that the sun was nowhere near the horizon. It wasn't even close to being nighttime. I was extremely disoriented. I remember stumbling back to my bed and setting a timer on my phone. I watched as the timer of my phone ticked on steadily. I watched, uh, unable to tear my eyes from my phone as ten minutes passed. I looked up at the clock, and it was still saying 2.45. My phone steadily moved uh, fifteen minutes, uh, twenty minutes, an hour, uh, two hours. It was still 2.45. I was perplexed. Uh, the time hadn't moved, and when I looked outside, the sun was still no closer to the horizon than it was two hours ago. I quickly ran outside my room to check on my family. Uh, were they experiencing this too? That's what I was wondering. I turned into the hallway outside my room and opened my sister's door. Uh, she lived right across the hall. I flung it open and she wasn't in there. Uh, but I saw her cat, uh, Seraphine. Seraphine was a calico female and was extremely excitable. She would wake up at the sound of someone walking down the hallway. But to my surprise, after I had flung open the door, she stayed stationary. I walked up to her and she didn't move, not even a muscle, not so much as a twitch of her back. I placed my hand on her back, stroking her soft and velvety fur, and she did not respond. I was horrified to find that she wasn't breathing. 
I picked her up to look at her face, only to realize her eyes were wide open. Not like wide open and dead, but wide open and staring straight ahead, completely focused. Her eyes looked alive. I put her back down in her cat bed and sidestepped my sister's human-sized bed to get back to the hallway. I closed her door and didn't let go of the handle. I was thinking. I slowly brought a shaky hand up to my neck and held it right beside my esophagus, feeling for the beat of my heart. There was nothing. I, I began to frantically search all over my neck, practically bruising myself, pushing so hard, trying to find a pulse, uh, to find any sign that I was still alive. My breathing began to grow frantic, and to calm myself down, I held my breath. And I held my breath. And I held my breath. It seemed like a few minutes had passed since I had last taken a breath of air, but I still felt fine. It was the worst feeling of everything I had ever experienced. To not breathe, to not need air, was something so alien to my consciousness, to my brain, that I instantaneously began to breathe again. It was comforting, and made me feel alive. Turning from my sister's door, I headed down the hallway to the stairs and found my sister sitting on them, halfway down. Her red hair was laying flat down on her back, and her headphones covered her freckled ears. Despite only being twelve years old, she was tall for her age, only about two inches shorter than me, uh, who stood at five foot eleven inches. The wrinkles on her sweatshirt did not move, uh, did not crinkle in any way. She was sitting abnormally still, and I almost felt scared to approach her. It was so unnatural that again, uh, my breathing grew rough and frantic. Pushing aside the irrational fears, I reached out a hand to touch my sister's shoulder, but stopped just inches from her shoulder. Her phone wasn't playing anything, uh, but she wasn't moving. She wasn't trying to refresh the tab, she just sat and looked at the screen. Uh, for my hyperactive sister, that was abnormal. It scared me. I went down a few steps and looked up at her. Her face was plastered to the screen, completely infatuated with it. I knew there was nothing happening on that screen, but she didn't move. I stared at her for a few minutes. I began to grow more and more disturbed. I didn't know why until my brain made the connection and I realized that she looked like a hyper-realistic wax figure. She looked like she could get up and start walking around, but uh, she didn't move or blink. She never once closed her bright blue eyes, and watching this made mine water. I noticed that the water was streaming down my face, uh, and then I realized I was crying. I was confused as to why I was crying. I wasn't that upset at the time, but I just couldn't stop the waterworks. Looking back, it was just myself subconsciously realizing that I might never see my sister smile again. I looked outside and saw that the driveway was empty, except for my car. My parents had earlier that day gone out to shop, and, of course, never came back. The tears kept flowing, and I sat in the living room for hours trying to calm down, and to try to rationalize what was happening to me, but I couldn't. Despite every explanation I came up with, the more time passed, the more I realized how truly messed up what was happening to me was. The longer my sister sat on those stairs, the longer her eyes stared at the still phone screen, the longer my parents' car was gone. I spent the next eight months experimenting with what I was capable of. 
I held my breath for an entire month and only started breathing to feel comfortable. I found out that the things that I interacted with would work. Uh, every item that I touched would work, but when I would touch any living thing, they would stay stationary. Uh, they wouldn't change. This meant that I could still live my life normally, as normal as I could. The first night alone, uh, sleeping, I mean, was uh, terrible. No matter how many times I slapped my fan, it wouldn't turn on, which was extremely odd. Every other item I interacted with started to work, except the fan. I spent that night, which was really day, with heavy blankets over the window, on edge. It was so unnaturally silent, all I could hear was my own breathing and the crinkling of the bedsheets. Each breath I took felt as if it could wake an entire army, and every time I changed my position it was like a giant had just taken a step in my very room. I grew used to the silence, but... I never got used to the sneezes and coughs, which would sound like thunder or lightning in my tiny, silence room. I also found that over the months I never had a need to eat food or to change clothes. The temperature never varied, and every time I would eat, I would feel like I was stuffing myself. The feeling would go away, but I always felt satisfied and never needed to eat. Uh, most of the eight months I spent on my phone or other devices. I once even took my car out to the library to grab books to read. Uh, my car had consumed gas, and when I took it to get more gas, I had been able to use the debit card I had gotten for Christmas to purchase the gas. Uh, it was extremely boring, and I would often find myself picking up new hobbies, uh, like learning to play the piano or the guitar. At the end of the eight months... I distinctly remember uh, my sister was still on the stairs, and her cat was still in her cat bed. But when I completed the daily ritual of looking up at the time and marking a day off on the calendar, I saw that the time had changed. It was now 2.46. I dropped the pen I was marking with. I walked up to the clock on the stove and stared in wonder. It had changed. The time had changed, but... It took eight months to move one minute. I quickly began to calculate in my head. The further I got, the more and more horrified I became. To get through 24 hours, to make it through one single day, it would take over 2,000 of my stuck-in-time years. I collapsed onto the hard tile of the kitchen floor and began to bawl. I was truly stuck here forever. I hadn't aged or changed in any physical way since time slowed down, which meant I was still physically aging to the outside world's standards. The implications began to hit me, and I stopped crying. I was going to live for at least 2,000 years, probably even more, considering that was only one day. I again went through the math and realized that to get through a single year outside time, it would take me a whole 800,000 years. If I lived to the age of 90, it would take me 6.3 million years to get there. Living to be over the age of 6.3 million years old, all alone. I felt a pool of dread well up within me. I spent the next hundred years wallowing in self-pity. I watched as my sister slowly moved as she slowly changed her facial expressions. The tiniest crinkle of her facial features, the tiny movement of a single pixel on her screen. I spent another hundred years just staring at my sister. 
until I finally saw her mouth lift into a smile. It took a hundred years to get there, to see her smile. It made me cry, and I'm not ashamed to admit that seeing my sister smile made me cry for three days straight. It motivated me. I began to study quantum physics uh, to understand what was happening to me. I spent 200 years reading and studying countless books, studies, and experiments. Nothing could even begin to explain the phenomena surrounding me. If time was truly going as slow as described, why was my body not disintegrating from moving so fast compared to the air molecules in the air? How come I was able to breathe? How was I able to interact with objects and get them to work normally? And how come this effect did not work on living organic material? The more I learned, the more confused I became. What was happening to me was theoretically impossible. Improbable to the highest extreme. I watched as slowly, over the years, my sister began to get up, to move to the kitchen, to open the fridge, to go to her room, to pet her cat, to again sit and watch a video on her phone. I watched as my parents' car slowly inched down the road to the house, getting ever so closer with each passing year. I watched as the sun finally reached the horizon. Its rays kissed the plot of grass in our backyard, and I watched as the sun finally set. It was finally nighttime. Four hundred years to finally see the sun set again, to finally see the stars, the moon, the things I hadn't seen for five lifetimes. The sun had set, and within those four hours of real time, I had become a master pianist, guitarist, mathematician, physicist, engineer, and biologist. A lot had happened in four measly hours. Four hundred years. I sat in a lawn chair for the last fifteen years, watching the sunset. It was truly beautiful. My parents finally got home. I watched them greet my sister. I watched as they slowly began to unload the car, and as they slowly started to realize that I wasn't there. It was as if I didn't exist at all, and couldn't be seen. I tried to see if they could see me when I stood still for a long amount of time. I remember standing in front of my father for fifty years. I watched him, looking at his concerned eyes, watching the edges of his crinkled mouth as they turned into a frown. He was worried about me. Over those fifty years, he edged closer and closer until his hand finally reached me and passed into me. I didn't react. I didn't know how. In all my five hundred or so years of living, I had never felt such true agony, that blind and numbing agony that reached from the bottom of my soul. So when I realized that they couldn't interact with me, I could interact with them, but they couldn't interact with me. I was trapped, alone, and scared. I was seventeen again, shivering and crying and whimpering like a tiny baby. For another hundred years I gazed longingly at my family. I wanted to touch them and to hold them, to tell them I'm sorry for everything I did wrong to them, for every time I disrespected my mother or father or didn't do as they asked, or didn't participate in, in events with them. I, I lost the chance to do all of this. As I stared at my mother one day, I began to feel a growing sense of unease. 
My stomach began to flutter, and my breathing, which I still did not need, began to again grow erratic and haggard. I couldn't tell what was wrong until I realized that there was a slow rumbling coming from outside. It was slowly shaking the ground beneath my feet, as it began to rumble the walls of the house as well. Nothing fell off of them, not even after the rumbling grew to an unbearable level, to the points where it knocked me to the ground. I realized for the first time in over six hundred years I was truly and honestly scared for my life. The rumbling slowly faded, and I thought the worst of it was over, when there was a knock at the front door. I did not move. For hundreds of years I had wished for company. But now that the possibility that there was something outside in the time-stopped world uh, other than me was truly terrifying. I stayed on the ground of the kitchen floor, the hard tile pressed into the skin of my palm as I waited for another knock. I thought of turning out the lights, but quickly dismissed it and stayed still. There was another knock, more demanding, and I felt a warmth in my pants. I stayed in that position until long after the last knock had finished its echoes through the silent home. Never before had the silence been so strangling and omnipresent. It felt like my first night alone again, the first time I experienced the true silence of this world. After regaining the ability to stand, I changed out of my soiled pants and slowly crept my way around the house. This house that I had spent over seven hundred years in had never before been so frightening. Around each corner, I felt that I would find the thing that knocked on my door. I need to get out of here. I'm beginning to truly fear for my safety. Screw self-pity. I need to get out of here, not just to see my family, but to avoid the thing that knocked on my door. It has begun to stalk me. Every four hours in my time, on the dot, two sets of three knocks will ring out on the door. Entry 2, July 28th, 2015, 12.01.50 Please, help me. I hope this gets to someone. I need help. Five days ago, the knocking that had been going on for weeks stopped, and I heard something crash through the upstairs window of my sister's room. It's in my house, and I'm running out of time. Entries have been archived due to no usage in over four years. I guess this is the best outlet out there to share my experience, as I have recently discovered this forum, or whatever you want to call it, and have been spending the past few days reading through some of the odd and scary things people have experienced. What I encountered this past September seems to fit the mold. I'm not incredibly sure whether it begins with this, but I will do my best to explain this in a way that the context is at least somewhat understood by those who read it. I will tell you that this is the absolute truth. I will stand by everything I am about to say. I suppose I should start by laying out some foundational information to the premise of my experience that explains what I was doing and why. This could be lengthy, so I apologize in advance. Uh, the interest I have that led me to my experience is obscure, and I want to do the best I can to make sure people understand it. My father and I collect arrowheads and other Native American relics, as most would call them, such as pipes, uh, pottery, effigies, 
although we aren't lucky enough to find those and not rich enough to afford them. Uh, tools, uh, Celts, pestles, uh, hammerstones, uh, etc., amongst other things. My dad has always been obsessed with Native American culture and has made it an ever-present point to teach me from very early on the real history of how the United States came to be, pertaining to Native American oppression, that is. Anyway, he began collecting as a teenager. Ever since he found an arrowhead at an Indian summer camp in the 60s, he had been hooked. This rubbed off on me. We had an awesome collection. We had found many of our pieces, but... We buy most of them from various auction sites and dealers. The ultimate prize is to find them yourself. But what you'll find is that many times in your somewhat distant travels to rural areas, uh, trudging through the mud of plowed fields, you find a lot of chewed-up pieces that have been erected by the farming equipment. Or worse, uh, you get blanked and find nothing. You also have to wait for the right time, uh, ideally, and even more important, find the right place. You need to go through these plowed and tilled areas, because these artifacts aren't just lying on the top of the ground surface, unless it's a riverbank. They have been covered by thousands of years of sediments, and can be feet deep in the earth. You want to try to go a day or two after a nice hard rain, uh, hence the aforementioned mud, and this will expose the flint buried in the dirt a bit better. As far as the right place, uh, you want to look in places where Native Americans would have lived, uh, places by rivers, mostly. Uh, creeks and lakes will do, but it can be hard to find ones that have been around for thousands of years that ancient people would have lived by. You also want to hunt off of any flood plains and more elevated areas. Uh, ancient people wouldn't have lived in areas where it would have flooded, uh, for obvious reasons, but the water was their lifeline, so they would have been close by. Riverbanks are good, too, as previously mentioned, uh, for things that may wash out of the water, uh, but it can be hard to spot flints out of the crowded rocks. It tends to blend in. So, moral of the story, uh, getting the right place at the right time and getting nothing out of it can be frustrating. Hence, buying them. Uh, finding the right auction sites and dealers who don't sell fake crap is another story altogether. Uh, now that you know a bit about arrowhead hunting and why I would have been where I was, I will move on to my experience. We live in Ohio. We do a lot of our hunting in Indiana and Kentucky uh, in some pretty rural areas of farmland surrounded by wooded areas and foothills. Uh, some of my dad's friends, who are into the same stuff, will give him the low on some good spots to check out, and that's exactly what led us to a huge set of fields in rural Kentucky. I don't even fully know where we ended up. Uh, the last road marker I saw was Route 8, and that was a little past Maysville. The instructions that we got were to follow the railroad tracks that ran along Route 8 past Maysville to a huge dilapidated red barn with an old rusted white truck out in front of it, sitting on cinder blocks. We were to make the right turn directly after the BAM and follow the road for a couple of miles. We were then to look for some little yellow posts with a little crossing over another set on railroad tracks and make that left. Eventually, we were to park alongside these tracks once we saw a clearing large enough to park the car. Across the tracks, climb the hill, go through some woods, and the fields would be there. Great fucking instructions, I know. But you know what? It's not like these places have addresses, per se. Sometimes this is as good as it gets. We follow these instructions to a T, get to the stupid-ass barn, made the right. 
I went down there for what I swear was twenty minutes, saw the crossing to the other tracks with the yellow posts, made the left and scraped the piss out of the underside of my car in the process. Drove down there forever with no fucking place suitable to park, as the road had fairly sharp declines on both sides. After cursing the damn instructions and telling my dad his friend was full of shit, we finally saw a flat, grassy patch off of a tiny road. That had to be it. The tracks were there and everything. We parked, grabbed our packs, and crossed the tracks. Now, the first thing we noticed was the sharp hill that was mentioned. A good sign. We made it up and came to a gorgeous clearing littered with wild lavender and some other colorful plants. Uh, this was cool and all, but there were no fields. Uh, we decided to trudge through the wooded area surrounding this clearing. There was a large foothill to the left, uh, so we weren't going that way. Uh, we just went straight through, uh, keeping that hill on our left for reference. Uh, there was a creek crossing through this patch of woods, another good sign because it had to be coming straight from the nearby Ohio River. Uh, only if we could find the damn fields, that is. We came across an old wire fence that had fallen in most places that we stepped over, and, and after another 75 yards or better, uh, came to an old set of rectangular, identical buildings. They looked like old bunkhouses or something, just four walls in the shape of a long rectangle. No doors and nothing inside. Uh, there were a couple of benches with a fire pits on the other side. Uh, the ash in there indicated that it had been used somewhat recently. At least within the past couple of weeks. Uh, just a random observation I had at the time that became not so random later on. Looking up from this, we saw the tree line. A tree line at the edge of a massive field. I've never been so excited to see absolutely nothing in my entire life. We went up and down this thing, eyes glued to the ground and the plowed rows all the way across. We didn't go the entire length, as at the furthest point we went, uh, we thought we could make out the outline of a farmhouse up on a slight hill, just peeking over the top of the trees at the leftmost edge. Uh, could have just been a barn or nothing at all, honestly, but, but most of the places we go were on private property, and we try to stay as out of sight uh, while being in plain sight as much as possible. In the past, my dad has had pissed-off farmers wielding shotguns come wandering down, wondering what the hell we're doing on their property, so we like to avoid these situations for obvious reasons. Anyway, uh, we found nothing but flint chips uh, pushing on what had to be a couple of hours. Uh, my neck was killing me and I was dying of thirst, so I yelled over at my dad and made a drink gesture with my arm while tilting back my head. He yelled something that I couldn't quite make out, so I waved him to come over. We decided to go back to the benches we saw coming through the woods and sit and drink some of the water we brought and eat the trail mix. We were way the hell out of this field. I mean, it was massive. As we walked back to that tree line, I first spotted what looked to be a faint orange glow. It had to be a fire in the fire pit we saw. I have 2015 vision. So I know I fucking saw this, even as far back as we were. I told my dad, and the closer we got, he said that he could make it out as well. As we came closer to the tree line, however, uh, no more glow, uh, nothing. We walked right up to the benches with the fire pits. No fire, no wood, no sign of anyone having been there. We walked back into the buildings on the other side, uh, no sign of anyone having been there other than us. There were boot prints on the dust on the wooden floor but they looked like ours. 
I'm not an expert tracker or anything like that, but there didn't look to be any more than two sets of prints there. I just kept thinking to myself that this is fucking weird. I knew I saw a fire from the field walking toward the tree line, and my dad was damn sure of it too. We walked around in a circle to see if we saw anyone. Came up with nothing. Uh, not that seeing someone else would be a complete shock or terrifying or anything. I mean, we were in an extremely rural area, although I wouldn't consider it completely isolated. And as observant as this hobby is, we have encountered other hunters before. I mean, I am 26, uh, 6 foot 6, and close to 230 pounds, and my dad isn't exactly a small guy either. I'm not worried about encountering anyone as strange as it may be. Anyway, we wrote this off. We sat and ate and chugged half of the water we brought. I spent most of this time looking up at the sky. Not because I was expecting to see anything, but because my neck fucking hurt. Looking down like that for hours will do that. Uh, we got up and went back to the field and resumed looking. What we encountered next, I still cannot fully explain, but it is the real reason for writing this. After what I presumed to be about a half an hour into looking, I looked up and gave my neck a break and saw what looked to be a woman wearing a red jacket and jeans. She was quite a ways off in the field. She was aimlessly walking around with a dog at her side. Uh, it looks to be a smaller dog, but again, we were a ways off. I, I couldn't exactly tell. I waved, thinking it was the owner of the property who may have spotted us, and I wanted to be as friendly as I could. She never did look over in my direction. I yelled over to my dad and pointed in the direction of the woman. He's damn near deaf, but it took him a few seconds and a couple of yells for him to hear me. I point in that direction while looking at him. He turns his head and looks, and then looks back at me and raises his arm in a what sort of gesture, and then waves for me to come over to him. I look back, and there is no woman. There is also no dog. I, I take a few seconds, scanning the area and seeing nothing. I flip back to my dad, who has already resumed looking at the ground. I, I began to walk over to my dad to tell him what I saw. I've got about three inches of mud on the bottom of my damn boots, and I knew this would take a minute. I decide to look down as I'm doing it to see if I can find anything along the way. I glanced up at some points and did not see my dad. I looked around and I didn't see much of anything familiar. I can't fucking explain this, and I had no idea where I was. I panicked internally. I frantically looked around for anything familiar. There was a tree line, but it looked different, and I was not going back in the woods in an area I did not know. I was in a field. The hillside I thought we were using as a reference point was now much further off and from a different direction. I was dumbfounded. I was still convincing myself that it was my dad who wandered somewhere while I was walking back to tell him about the woman. I can't fully fucking explain how terrified I was. I cannot explain how I ended up uh, wherever it is I was, and I still can't. I can only rationalize this in a couple of ways. I was either somehow transported through some means beyond my comprehension, or I somehow became extremely disoriented and navigated the wrong direction, which would also mean that I have had to seriously misjudge the time, as well as I swear I only have my head down looking for a minute, a minute and a half tops. I probably stood in the same spot for minutes, trying not to completely lose it, 
I was shivering in fear because I knew something was very wrong. I ripped my cell phone out of my pocket and looked at the time. 2.46 p.m. I'll never forget it. The thing is, I, I don't believe I experienced a missing time, a phenomena I had become somewhat familiar with, but much more now in initially becoming lost. Uh, this was not something I had really thought of at this particular time, though, but thought about afterwards. Uh, but I know we left the house around 9.30, and the trip took at least an hour, uh, probably more like an hour and a half. I also knew we had been out there for a few hours, so I really didn't know if this qualifies as missing time in me initially becoming lost. Uh, my dad is also old school and doesn't have a cell phone. I couldn't call him if I wanted to. I was, however, going to call my mom to tell her that I didn't know where I was, but there was no fucking signal. Uh, being in the middle of absolutely fucking nowhere, that shouldn't have surprised me. I did the one thing I could do. I uh, start walking. I gathered myself and started to walk back towards the foothill I believed to be the one we used as a reference on our way in. As I was walking the field, starting to naturally bend to the left and the foothill began to become oriented to my right, uh, which would mean that I would have walked towards the woman I saw and then some. I continued walking for a bit, uh, terrified the entire time because I wasn't seeing my dad. I felt like a kid lost in the grocery store or some other place that just looked exactly the same where you look. Uh, helpless, I guess, is the best term I can use to describe how I was feeling. As I continued to walk, I pulled my phone back out and... Dead. Fucking dead. I didn't take note of the battery the last time I pulled it out, so I couldn't tell you if it was close to being dead or not, but I charged it up to the point where we walked out of the door and hadn't used it at all other than to Google Map us to Maysville, and it was hooked up to my car charger the entire time. There is no way it should have been dead. I cursed, became further confused, but continued to walk. I came to somewhere that I felt was familiar to me after a bit and could make out the familiar straight tree line that we had emerged from on the way in. I should have been yelling the entire time, but I guess I wasn't thinking clearly. I started to scream for my dad, literally screaming. I was doing this in circles, trying to be as loud as I could, no sign of my dad. I walked toward the tree line, screaming some more, calling for my dad. For some odd reason, I remembered something I learned uh, watching out of Lestrade's survival shows, and this was that if you ever became separated, to try to stick to areas of familiarity amongst the people you were with. Uh, remembering this insanely random but incredibly relevant piece of information, I made my way to the trees, yelling into them, walking about a quarter of the way back to the old bunkhouse-like building before I saw my dad emerging from the other side of one of them. I had never been so happy to see that man in my life. I slumped my shoulders when I saw him and started forming tears in my eyes. He started walking towards me with his arms out to a where-the-fuck-have-you-been gesture, which is exactly what he yelled to me when I got within earshot. I told him my perspective of what had happened to me. I told him that I saw some woman in a red jacket walking with a dog a ways off from where we were, and that's why I was yelling to him and pointing earlier. He tells me he didn't see a woman, but was more concerned with where I went off to. I told him that I was walking towards him to tell him about the woman, and I was keeping my eyes peeled to the ground, looking for Flint, and happened to glance up and not see him anywhere. The foothill we were navigating by was much further off, and I had no fucking clue where I was. I started walking back to where I thought would put me in the right place, and 
Here I am now. He looked at me and uh, kind of jerked his neck back in disbelief of what I said. He told me that after I pointed at seemingly nothing, any way for me to come tell him, he kept looking and, after a couple of minutes of not hearing me speak about what I was pointing at, uh, looked up and noticed that I was gone. He looked around, calling my name, and walked all around the field, yelling for me to come up with no sign of me. He said that he had saw some of my boot prints over by where I was walking, but couldn't really follow them as they weren't making sense. Uh, they just kind of went around in a circle from what he could make out, he said. Uh, contrary to what some may think, following footprints in a field like that could be potentially challenging. Uh, you could step on stones, nubs of corn stalks, or soybeans or tobacco plants and not really leave clear footprints for a good number of steps. Now, this particular field was corn, little nubs of stalks everywhere in a row. Due to that, I didn't know how much stock I put into his circle theory, but nonetheless, he couldn't find me after a while of looking and yelling and decided to head back to the benches to see if I had decided to sit and give my neck a break. He didn't see me, uh, walked some of the way to the clearing with the lavender going towards the car before he heard me yelling and turned around. I pleaded to him that I had no fucking clue how I got to where I was and that I saw a damn woman from roughly the direction from where I had mysteriously ended up, just a hell of a lot further onwards. He asked questions about the woman and I told him everything I knew. Uh, she was there, a red jacket, dog, and never looked at me and that she was gone when I looked back. And now here is what spurred me on the missing time. I asked him how long he was looking for me, and he told me it had been close to two hours. Now, I know my dad exaggerates about all kinds of shit, but my calculations, I spent about 40 minutes walking back to the area I was familiar with, and another 10 or so to the tree line. I told him there was no way he spent two hours, but he insisted. I told him that I did not want to be there anymore and that we needed to leave right then, and he agreed. We made it back to the car without incident, and upon turning the key, the time read 5.28pm. This would corroborate what my dad said. Uh, from me looking and seeing 2.46 upon initially being lost, spending roughly calculated 50 minutes walking back, uh, would put me at 3.36, plus the walk back to the car which means I am missing about an hour and change, uh, roughly, that I cannot account for from the point where I initially was lost to where I found my dad, not from me initially wandering off or whatever the hell I did. Uh, we drove home, talked very little on the way back. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, the fire we saw that was apparently never there, uh, the woman I saw who was apparently never there, uh, the missing time or the potentially disorienting condition that came over me, regarding space and time, the way my phone died. It is entirely possible that I did incredibly misjudge the time, but it doesn't explain the fire, the woman and dog, or, or how the hell I simply look up after a minute and am suddenly standing somewhere that took me a long-ass time to get back to where I was. I don't know what to make of any of this. We talk about it from time to time, but I will probably never know what happened out there. Quite honestly, I am not sure I want to know. I do know this, though. I will never go back there. <laughs>